All right, well, good morning, everybody. We're back. Here we go. Um, how many of you have stuff at your houses that is kind of sentimental to you? Anybody have anything that's sentimental? Now, some of us have more sentimental stuff than others, <coughs> hoarders. And uh, uh, we like to keep on uh, holding on to large volumes of things, right? Anybody know somebody like that that they may live with that's kind of, okay, yep. Yep, there we go. Uh, I am I am not a hoarder. I, at, at my house, uh, if we don't use it in six months, then I'm I'm a big fan of just kicking it on out the door. It drives my wife absolutely crazy. Uh, she's helped me in this respect uh, in quite a few ways. She just hides things, so it's it's good. Um, but there are a few things that I really really value, and I actually made a copy of one of them, and it's in your handout today. So if you got a handout, grab that sheet that says "Things God Cannot Do" at the top of it, and we'll take some notes on that today. Um, but uh, one of those things is notes that I took when I was very young in life. And, and this is actually a copy of a set of notes that I took when I was probably 9 or 10 years old. Uh, I grew up in Shelbyville, Tennessee, in a small country church. And uh, one Sunday night, our preacher got up and he said, uh, you know, we, we lie to our kids a lot. And I thought that was kind of a strange way to start a sermon. And he said, uh, we tell our kids God can do anything. And he really can't, and he won't, and that's good for us. And I remember thinking, and I looked at my mom and said, there's, there's stuff God can't do. She said, apparently, we're going to find out. I said, okay, that's kind of cool. So she said, you may want to take notes on this. And I remember thinking, I've seen you do that before, but, you know, that's like an adult thing. So she wrote out uh, nine things, God, that's her handwriting at the very top, nine things God cannot do, and number one, God cannot lie. And then she handed the piece of paper to me, and she said, keep up. Okay, I guess I'll keep up. We'll just do this. And I wrote as fast as I could and just went and went and went and went. And so this is my handwriting when I was about 10 years old or so. And, uh, and that meant something to me. One, because I felt kind of proud that I had kept up with the preacher, and that was pretty good. Uh, and two, there was something that resonated in the middle of that sermon because I began to understand that God places boundaries on himself for our good. Uh, and it wasn't something I'd ever considered before, but it was an act of his love to restrain himself from all things being options. Now, before I confuse everybody on this concept, there are some things that we are talking about and there's some things that we're not talking about. I'm going to make that distinction very, very clearly. But uh, in, your, in your notes here, it says, uh, uh, we pitch God to be a genie waiting to fulfill our every wish, and that is not the case. God has placed boundaries on himself. And this is the thing that I want to stress. That's your first blank there. God has placed boundaries on himself. Uh, this is, these are not boundaries that we are putting on him. These are things that he has identified to restrict or restrain or to bound who he is and how he behaves with us. And for me, at the heart of this issue is trust. At the heart of this issue is trust because... My wife and I have been married now um, almost 14 years, and uh, there are things that we know about each other now that we did not know when we were dating, right? This makes sense? You, you, you begin to trust people on a different way. Um, and I know that there are some safe things that we can talk about that she's not going to judge me, and I'm not going to judge her, and that's just kind of where we are. Um, and that comes over time, but... You know, there's two questions in your notes here. Do we really trust God to do what he said he will do? And we hear this question a lot, right? Do you trust God to do what he says he's going to do? Well, there's another question I think is equally as important. Do we trust God to not do what he said he will not do? 
Do we really believe that he is good and that he is not going to come and uh, in some revengeful, spiteful way wreck everything if we screw up? Right? And, it, and for a lot of us, this is a slow progression of getting to this point where we actually trust God in this space. Uh, so the next blank there, this series, what we're going to look at are things that God has said that he cannot or will not do and how each one of those restrictions, limitations, or boundaries is good for us, how it's good for us. So we're going to look at several things, actually several of the things that are on this list. Um, I've asked several folks in our class to, to speak in this five-week series. So I, I went through and I tried to find all the verses that I could in the Scripture that talked about things that God restricted himself. And I got uh, two columns on two full pages of, of Bible verses. So there's, there's a lot of verses where God bounded himself and says, I'm going to operate within these parameters. Um, so just to, to kind of give you an idea of where we're going to be going and what we're going to be learning, at the e- beginning of each series I set out knowledge objectives, and these are just the, the things that help me as a teacher kind of keep our guideposts. We want to stay in these, uh, kind of stay in these boundaries so that this is, we know where we're going. So number one, uh, to recognize the limitations that God places on himself. So these are it's kind of the facts, right? So what does that Bible actually say in this space? Number two, to understand more fully God's wisdom and his own restrictions on himself. So this is appreciating, number one, and understanding that God knows what he's doing with these limitations. Uh, Number three, to see God's love evidenced in his nature. We talk all the time about, you know, God does this for us and we love him, and God does this for us and we love him, and God does this for us and we love him. But we can love him because of what he doesn't do, too. And what he doesn't do is good for us, and, and this is good and right for us to understand. Uh, number four, to grow in our ability to articulate God's nature to others. And this is the one that I really want us to, to spend some time on, thinking through how we communicate, especially to young people, who God is and how he behaves and, and these frameworks that he operates within. And that it's not tell your kid, yeah, God can do anything. Well, maybe that's okay for a two-year-old or a three-year-old. But six, seven, eight-year-old, they need to understand that there's some things that you can trust God with that he's not going to do that he's not going to do these types of things. Um, I saw a great, uh, and I wish I'd done it for the class, but uh, you've ever gone to work and you see those uh, announcements next to the elevators and it's got those little tear-off tabs at the bottom? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Where call this number for this or call this number for this? And, and it was, uh, uh, here's what God has for you today. And it had all these characteristics of God at the bottom, the little tear-off tabs. He's got love for you. He's got patience for you. He's got goodness for you. He's got mercy for you. I thought it was, it was a really good visual on, wow, okay, this is, these are some of the options that, that God has available. And when I think about this series, there are some things that are not on that pull-off tab, right? God does not have hate for you today. God does not have uh, vengeance for you today. God does not have evil that he's waiting for you to do. You don't tear those off and this is, yay, this is what God's got for me today. That's, that's not how that works. Um, so back to the knowledge objectives, number five, to, just to trust God more, right? So to be changed as a result of the knowledge and the understanding and loving him more. And then this is the one that, that I struggle with the most is number six, to be at peace with and love God more for who God is and who God is not. And this is the growing more like him, to, to understand that he is this way for a reason it is good for us, and then I am okay with how he has structured and ordained the universe to work. Uh, because a lot of times I look at some situation and I go, why does that just, man, that's just not right. Why, why do we allow that? Why does that just, is able to exist in this way? And that's me putting myself in the place of God there, and that's not good. So I like, the, I like pictures. 
Uh, I'd like us to understand what we're talking about, what we're not talking about. What I'm not talking about is that picture in the lower left-hand corner uh, where somebody's hands are bound, where we're saying uh, we have taken rope and we have bound up God's hands so that there are things that he cannot do. That is absolutely, completely, and totally not what we are talking about. What I am talking about is that lower right-hand picture where you see all those little dots on the outside of the circle and there's dots on the inside of the circle. There are things that define God's nature and his attributes those are the things that we typically study about God. When we go through our next systematic theology section, we're going to look at the doctrine of God and what's really in that circle. This series is about what's not in that circle. All those things that, those things don't define who God is. Those things don't define how he acts and how he engages with us. And every one of those things that's outside that circle is good for us. There's a positive benefit to God saying, I will not do this to you. I will not behave this way. Does this make sense? Yes? Are we tracking this morning? Yep. Okay. Good. So with all of that, we'll actually get started with uh, the first week, which is God cannot forsake his own, which is kind of a cool concept. So God cannot forsake his own. So this starts in the Old Testament. Uh, Deuteronomy, and I've got all the verses listed in here for you. Uh, Deuteronomy 31.6, be strong and of good courage. And so who's talking here in Deuteronomy 31? Who's talking here in Deuteronomy 31? Uh, not Jesus. Yep. So, uh, who? Deuteronomy 31. Moses. Yes, Moses is talking. So he's got, his, um, he's got his back to the promised land. He's preaching to the children of Israel. They're about to cross over. This is kind of the last set of sermons that he's preaching to them. This is his last uh, directions before they go and they inhabit the land and Joshua takes them through and everything's great and they start kicking butt in Canaan and you know all this stuff is wonderful. So this is it. And, and what does he say in Deuteronomy 31? He says, Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, He is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Which, okay. I feel pretty good about this, right? This is, this is good news. This is very helpful. He's not going to leave us. And then these words get echoed in the New Testament in Hebrews 13, 5. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, some of us, more than others of us, have dealt with leaving and forsaking in extremely personal, emotional, tragic, awful ways. Right? So I'll talk about one that is very, very pertinent to us that actually just kind of got fixed in the last week or so. So, Doug, welcome back, brother. Um, if, you, if you're not friends with me on Facebook, send me a friend request. It is totally worth it just for the video that I got to post on Facebook of him coming back. I'm telling you, he's one of my heroes. Um, so Doug just finished how many months? Six months in the wonderful vacation spot of... Afghanistan, yes. Uh, so thank you for your service for our country. Um, we, we get to do this because he goes and does that, right? I mean, this is, this is the reality here. Uh, but there was, a, there was a separation there, right? And that wasn't pleasant, and, and it wasn't enjoyable, and it was nerve-wracking at times because, you know, you, you're not over there playing tiddlywinks. This is, we got some really serious stuff going on. Um, but Darla, did he forsake you? No, he didn't, did he? You see that smile? That was beautiful, wasn't it? She's like, nope, 
didn't forsake me. He came back. He's coming back. And this was, this was one of the things that helped you get through that six months, right? Because he's coming back. And it's beautiful. Just absolutely beautiful. And, and I use this example to kind of go, yay, that's awesome. And the reality is there's times when folks don't come back. Right? There's times when folks don't come back. When things don't work. When it is just heartbreakingly horrible and we get to see the evil and the result of sin in the world and we just go, this is awful. And I can't wait for Jesus to come and fix it all. And, uh, and to know that our God is not going to behave like those who have abandoned us and left us is encouraging, right? That there will be right done by our God. And this is good. And it is good for us to know these types of things. So God is, I've gotten in my notes that God is the ultimate when it comes to hanging around. He will not let us go. He just can't do it. And it's, I love that that's in his nature, that he just can't let it go. Um, so David says it this way in Psalm 139. He says, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. Now, I don't know if you know much about the life of David, but he spent a big chunk of his life running away. There were almost always in the Old Testament somebody chasing after David. And it wasn't to go give him the Publishers Clearinghouse grand prize for the lottery he won. It, it was to put a spear through his skull. They did not like him. The, the leadership of the country hated David, and they constantly had people going and chasing after him, constantly had people going and chasing after him. And then when he came to power, other nations would send out hit squads on David, and he'd go live in a cave for a couple of months with some gruff guys that like to kill people with bones of animals. You know, I mean, it's just some crazy, crazy stuff. But he lived on the run, and he's writing this saying, I can't go anywhere where God's not there. He's lived it, right? He's been through these trials, and it's, it's just a beautiful thing. So um, God does not abandon his children. He is the perfect father. Here's your next blank. God never abandons his own. And, and this, is the, this is the distinction here that I want to make sure I draw on this particular uh, promise that God makes. There are, there are lots of promises that God makes in the Bible, right? And there are promises that God makes that apply to every living thing in the universe, and then there are promises that God makes that only apply to his children. This one only applies to his children. It is not for everybody. So if you know that person at work that is struggling with some issue that doesn't know God, this doesn't help them. It's not for them. This is for us. This is for God's children. And, and this, this is a hard truth to, to say, sorry, this is, that is not for you. But God never abandons his own. Um, <clears throat> something I wrote yesterday it says on our best days he is there on our worst days he is there and in all the days in between he is there Christianity is not about having a perfect life in the midst of a broken world Christianity is about having a perfect God to walk with through a broken world the, the world is going to stay broken until Jesus comes back and fixes it it is going to stay broken and we have the opportunity to walk with someone who knows where the brokenness is and can lead us through the brokenness with someone, because that's what we all want. We want to do this life with someone that loves us, or we can do this on our own and wonder why are we stepping over the brokenness. 
Um, God will not forsake us, and that is good for us. That is great for us, actually. That is hope, and that is love. Uh, and, and in John six thirty nine, I love that Jesus, here's your blank, Jesus himself gets in on this promise. The, the really great promises in the Old Testament that, that resonate with us on a very deep, deep level, Jesus repeats them in the New Testament. And he phrases them differently sometimes, and sometimes it's just really blunt. John six thirty nine. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should... What does he say? Lose nothing. Lose nothing. This is the opposite of your kid's room. Okay? Right? Something goes in, and there's space-time continuum just gets warped, right? And it just disappears, and you don't know where it goes from there. Right? It's the dryer, yes. Yeah, it's under the dryer. Yeah, don't ever, just, yeah, leave the under the dryer alone. That I should lose nothing. What's the most valuable thing you've ever lost as far as like a physical object? Anybody ever lost one of these? A, a diamond? Wow. <laughs> Doug <Dug> on his head. <laughs> I love it. How did it make you feel when you lost that diamond, Darla? Yeah, not too great, right? How'd that make you feel, Doug? Don't ask. Yeah. <laughs> That's not a safe place, right? We're still not to that company. safe haven. Somebody else, what have you lost? Something physical that you've lost? You lost your wallet? Yeah. Did it have stuff in it? Yeah. That's not good. $200? It was when I was in college and I got my check. You had $200 in college? She whiz. Never saw $200 in college. I just got paid and it was all in there and I left my first Someone gave me back my wallet for six months. Oh, wow. $200 in college. That's like a billion dollars in today's money. That's a lot. That's that conversion rate. I'm gonna, that's going to be my rabbit trail for the rest of the class. I'm going to think about, hey, I had $200 in college. That's awesome. Yeah. What else? Some, something else somebody lost. You ever lost anything big? Passport. Ooh, that's not Ooh. good. In another country. Oh! oh. <laughs> but only for like 15 minutes. Ooh. And, the, and the heart rate during that two hours was you know, like 3.30, right? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Passport in another country. That is not good. Miss Beth, did I see your hand go up? Oh, yeah. His wallet and his pilot ID in there. Oh, which kind of lets him do his job, right? Right. Yeah. Or somebody else could do his job. Oh, oh, I don't even want to think about that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We'll edit that comment out of the podcast in case any of us wants to fly this week. So there we go. Um, Yeah, I have had a very similar experience when I was in college. Um, The the day I graduated from college... (laughs) Um, I walked outside and uh, went to the parking lot where I parked my car. It's a piece of junk, so don't, don't worry too much about this. And walked out to the car, and there's a little pile of glass. And I was like, I don't think that's, huh. Well, happy graduation from the city of Chattanooga. That's just fantastic. And uh, my car had been stolen on graduation day. I was like, Really? Really? I'm getting off Tennessee Temple campus, baby. Come on now. This is <laughs> and it was just like, how could, of all the cars, this is the biggest piece of crap car in the entire parking lot, and they take this thing. 
Well, what I didn't know was that it was a, a gang that was looking for very specific types of cars. And an 88 Olds, yes, I was cool like that. Um, and she, she decided to date me anyway, driving around in an 88 Olds. I'm, I was just, I'm so blessed. Um, it's, it's just a miracle. Dad met her for the first time. He's like, you took her out in that? And I was like, yeah. He's like, man, she's a really cool girl. I was like, yeah, I know. I'm, like, I'm just leaving that alone. So this gang decided that certain types of cars, if you could break into these cars and steal them in so amount of time, then you got... That was your initiation into the gang, and you're good to go. So the good thing was I never had $200 uh, and only had about a quarter of a tank of gas in the vehicle at any time. So they found it a couple of miles away because it ran out of gas. <laughs> it's the redneck anti-theft device. Uh, and, uh, and the problem was that they had driven it through uh, a barbed wire fence, which doesn't help the looks of an 88 Olds. <laughs> Um, the other thing that they did, they had spray-painted words that uh, was not pleasant uh, on the dash. Uh, they had broken the seats, which I didn't know you could do in a vehicle, but you, you could break the seats. And my personal favorite, uh, they put a was, it a, was it a ham or was it a piece? It was some type of a massive piece of meat. It was like a roast or something in the back seat under the seat. So... So they found it, the police found it, and they take it to an impound lot. They didn't call me first. And it sits there for about a day while I go through the, oh. the paperwork. And this is May in Chattanooga. Oh, it was... Mm. So we get to the impound lot, we open the door, and this just... I don't know that I want it now. I mean, it's just... It was awful. It was absolutely awful. And, and I get this thing back in a condition that is just... I mean, what do, you, what do you do with this, right? This thing, this thing has been taken away, and now it comes back, and it's worse. And, and I'm thinking, that's just, ooh. And my dad did what a really cool dad would do. He went and found me another piece of crap car <laughs> and handed me the keys and said, happy graduation. And I was like, that was pretty cool. My dad did not forsake me in this time of nasty, stinky, smelly roast in the back seat, right? And he didn't leave, and it was awesome, and it was very helpful for me. Um, and it mimics the dad that I have in heaven that Jesus says, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And, and, and he goes on about this more in John chapter 10, verse 28, and he says, And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. And, and you guys have seen me do, you know, put the penny in the hand and then the big hands come on top and then wrap the napkin around and tie it up and then, you know, drop the penny. You can't drop the penny. We're not going anywhere. We are in his hand, in the Father's hand, sealed by the Holy Spirit, wrapped up tight. We are good to go. Um, and then in Romans eight thirty-eight and 39, I, I love this. It says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, which we really don't even know what those are, but it's stuff that we don't even understand that's out there, but that can't hurt us anyway, right? Nor things present, so the stuff now, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing. So in case I've left something out that I'm not aware of, there's nothing else in the universe that falls into this category, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. (laughs) I love it. He says, all the stuff that I know about right now, the stuff that I don't know about in the future, the things that I 
don't know about now and the things that I know about in the future, none of that can separate us. Well, that's pretty comprehensive. Um, I have a degree in math, and we spent a, long t a lot of time in college proving things to be, this is a, a defined set of information, and this is how we know that it is bounded this way, and proving things that this does not apply in these types of situations. And I can, I can tell you that he has covered all scenarios with these two verses. Everything we know about, everything we don't know about, either now or in the future. Cool. Can't separate us. God will not forsake his own. This is good for us. This is actually great for us. That, that is hope and this is love. And, and this, this concept is not just limited to forsaking. In, in Isaiah 49, the last verse on your page here, it says, Can a woman forget her nursing child? <laughs> it's, it's like the most sarcastic verse in the Bible, right? Um, can you forget your nursing child? No, the baby screams. You're not forgetting the nursing child, right? And not have compassion on the son of her womb. Surely they may forget, yet, and this is God speaking, yet I will not forget you. So not only will he not leave us or forsake us or abandon us, he won't forget us. Now, I have a horrible memory, and those of you that know me well know that I have a really, really spectacularly bad memory. And my wife, <laughs> yeah, thank you. Amen, yeah, she amen that one, that's great. Uh, it's a big joke at my house because my wife is constantly reminding me of things that uh, I either did or didn't do with or without her. Yeah, <clears throat> I have learned to start a story and then just kind of just let it mumble off because we don't need to finish that. Um, and, and we have a God that doesn't forget. And, and he doesn't forget. And here's the beautiful thing. Sometimes we, f we think that he doesn't forget the bad that we've done. He doesn't forget the promises he has made to us, right? It's not going to be he's going to wake up one day and go, you know what, I've changed my mind on this. I, I'm, I no longer want to have you as part of my family. No, he doesn't do that. He does not forsake his own. That is good news. for That is great for us. I mean, that, that is hope and that is love. Um, and this morning, we have an opportunity, believe it or not, uh, to engage with other people. We have an opportunity because 11,000 plus people came to Easter at Coolidge last week, which still just, it just messes with my head. That's, you know, we, we dreamed this thing up like seven or eight years ago, and we're sitting around in Gary's office, and me and Daryl and a couple of the folks were in there, and we're just like, so what can we do big? And this Easter, let's have Easter in the park. I'm like, okay. What are we talking, like 6,000 people or something? That's, that's going to be hard. You know, and my brain immediately goes into how do you organize it, how do you communicate, I mean, how do you structure it, how you, it's just instantly implementation mode. And they're going, oh, this would be great. And I'm just thinking, what if this works? Like, a couple of years, we, we could have a lot of people, guys. Do you understand this? And they're like, yeah. Like, a lot of people. <laughs> like, we could have, like, 5,000 people. And they're going, no, it'd, it'd take, like, a long time to get 5,000. It's like, I don't know. It, we could, I think we could be there in, like, 10 years or so. <laughs> Dale reminded me of that conversation last week. It was good. Um, but we had so many people come to Easter at Coolidge last week. And guess what some of those folks are going to do today? They've already started showing up. They're going to show up. This is wonderful. We have an opportunity to reach out and engage with more people for Jesus. We have an opportunity to reach out and engage with some folks that have been abandoned and have been forsaken, and have experienced loss and pain in their lives in a real deep way, right? And we have a chance 
to go put our arm around somebody and go, hey, me too. This is what we do. And you may, just may, just, just possibly meet your new best friends this morning. Because some of you, your best friends are in this room. And there was a day when you walked in this church and you met somebody. You had no clue how that was going to turn out. And years later, after doing life together, you look around and you go, that's pretty cool. And some of us care so deeply about this place and our friends here because it has made a difference. Because I know that I can bank on Zeke and Shanda Arger. Right? And you can bank on me, right? Um, because we've done this thing. And we have a chance to do this. So, I'm going to do something today that absolutely kills me. I'm going to stop teaching now. It is not 940 yet, I know. We're going to move into our prayer request time now. We're going to leave the tables and the chairs where they are because Bree's got a baby shower this afternoon that we are coming to and we're going to overwhelm them with stuff and love because that's what love does. Uh, love is a verb. And, and we're going to get out of this room. The lights are going to be off at 942 in this room because we are all going to be in the sanctuary at 945. And we have got a job to do this morning. We have got a job to go and to find people and to say, Hi, thanks for coming today. My name's, in this we put your name in there, right? And find out about them and welcome them and sit with them and ask them to sit with you. You may meet your new best friend. It's kind of cool, right? So we're going to be very active this morning. So that's the lesson for today. God's not going to forsake us, and we get a chance to go do this too. So we're going to go do this too. So... At your tables, there's a sheet. It says Sunday School Weekly Update at the top. That's where we write down our prayer requests. I want you to lean in and engage for three or four minutes. Pray as a group. And then get out there in the sanctuary and meet some new folks. Thanks for coming today.